anything void of honor is void of the manifest presence of God. God will never manifest himself in a place that is disorderly. He won't do it. Don't be giving God used things. To make it a habit of giving God used things is to give God useless things. Why don't you pray in the morning? Why is it when you are used up and tired at night that you now plan to pray? When you are already exhausted, what you have simply done in that situation is you are giving God your used time. Whatever is consecrated to the Lord must be consecrated even before time. That is, you already set a day apart. You set a thing apart. I will not touch this one because it's for God. Your name is the aggregate of your doings. There are things you can do that will reduce the weight of your name. There are things that you can do that will continue to add to the weight of your name. The entrance of God's word gives light and understanding. Welcome to a season of blessing and transformation as God's word comes to you through the ministry of our senior pastor, Reverend Peter Ayo Alabi. Stay blessed. Glory to God. And so we're beginning a new teaching series. And I want to call your attention to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And uh, we're reading from the 15th verse. And these are words from Apostle Paul. And he's talking to Timothy, his son in the gospel, who happened to be the pastor or the bishop of the churches, not just one church, but the churches of Ephesus, of the Ephesians. You notice that as a background to what we're going to read about Timothy's bishopric, that in Acts 20, put one hand there in 1 Timothy 3, go quickly with me to Acts chapter 20, and we're going to see how they came about the church of the Ephesians. Glory to God. So in Acts chapter 20, so now, the Bible tells us in verse 17, and, um, and from Miletus is sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Notice that. But how did this church come about? So flip backwards and go to the 19th verse, chapter, I beg your pardon, of Acts of Apostles. And we read from verse 1, and the Bible says, and it came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coasts, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have ye received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said unto him, We have not so much as heard, whether there be any Holy Ghost. And he said unto them, Unto what then were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. Then said Paul, John verily baptized with the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on him that which should come after him, that is on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, 
they were baptized in the name of the Lord. No surprise that that was all they knew because we hear of the person who preached to them in the person of Apollos. Do you see that? And we're going to read, if you're looking at Apollos, looking for him, you're going to find him. Let's start from verse 18. And that will be a longer read, though. But it's fine. And Paul, after this, this tarried there yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren, and sailed thence into Syria, and with him Priscilla and Aquila, having shorn his head in Crenshaw, for he had a vow. Let's keep all that. So go now to verse 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria. It's like saying he was born in the UK or born in the US. An eloquent man and mighty in the scriptures came to Ephesus. Notice now, this is the same Ephesus we saw Paul visiting in chapter 19. So notice now, we're looking at the background of Ephesus. That's why we're going through all this. And the word of God says, This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the what? Come on, talk to me. Knowing only what? The baptism of John. Did you see that? So go back to chapter 19. When Paul asked them, verse 3, Unto what then were ye, were ye baptized? And they said, Unto John's baptism. What does that tell you about these folks? It tells you who preached to them. Because we've seen Apollos, who was eloquent, mighty in scriptures, but knowing only the what? Baptism of John. And then we're seeing disciples... Who now said what they've heard about is just the what? The baptism of John. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Do you know what that expression means? I hope you all know. Wow. The rest of you are looking, you don't know. The apple doesn't fall far from a tree. Ask your neighbor, what does it mean? Ask your neighbor, what does it mean? The apple doesn't fall far from a tree. What does that even mean? Now, somebody is saying that means somebody just plucked it. <laughs> it's an expression that, that says that a person looks like his father or mother or, or where they came from. Do you understand that now? That you can easily trace the connection. So it means that it's clear. This, when the Bible says in verse 1 of Acts 19 that certain disciples, we now see whose disciples they were. They were definitely disciples of Apollos. A disciple will reflect what his teacher taught him. Did you see that now? It's going to reflect what his teacher taught him. They knew only, or they were baptized of the John's baptism because the person who taught them knew only the baptism of John. Do you see now? So Paul has come there now, and Paul is taking them further. God loves to take us further. And so the Bible tells us here, verse 5, when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord, Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost 
came on them, and they spake with tongues and prophesied. And all the men were about how many? Twelve. Twelve. Notice their history. But go to chapter 20, and let's go back there, verse 17. And from Miletus, he sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church. Who are these elders? Obviously, the folks who were called disciples in chapter 18, who only knew of the baptism of John. Paul has discipled them better. They're growing now in the things of God. Now, notice, don't make the mistake. Between chapter 18 and chapter 19, is not just as fast as the flip of the chapter. Years. Are you seeing this now? So, and that's why I always say this. God wants you to become something. You're not just coming to church and say, oh, well, I'm around, I'm around. You should come. You need to come. You must come. But as you're coming to church, you should become a kind of person growing onto maturity so that like these folks you might have started out being ignorant of the basic things of the important things of the fundamental things but you ought to be growing to know those things now so these guys are now called elders so eldership is a function of growth not titles eldership is a function of growth not titles You see folks who just feel because they are older than most members of the church. Therefore, they are elders. No, you're not. In the local church, the age of people is not what makes them leaders. You see, that can apply in your own town. But not in the church of the living God. Are you seeing this now? Timothy was younger than most of the people he pastored. That's why Paul would say to him, let no man despise your youth. Because he was much younger than those people in age. But he was more advanced than they were in the things of God. Can you see this? And I want you to see that also. So go over to Acts, the 16th chapter. From verse 1. Then came he, that's Paul, to Derby and Lystra. And behold, a certain disciple was there. Do you notice most of these folks all started as certain disciple? Certain disciple. You've got to be a certain disciple. You know what a certain disciple implies? It implies a disciple that is located and identified with a local assembly. Identified to a teacher, a trainer. You see, because those folks in chapter 18 we saw, we were able to trace them to somebody. We trace them to the teachings of who? Apollos. So you are not a disciple in isolation. Can you see this now? Then came he to Derby and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman, which was a Jewess, and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Verse 3 says, him, notice first of all, verse 2 tells us, this man, this young man, notice now, this certain disciple, Timotheus, that's Timothy, was well reported of, by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. What that tells you is this now. is telling you the company of believers with whom he identified and lived the Christian life. So they were able to attest of his character, to his character. The Bible says he was well reported of. 
You can't well report of a person you don't know. You can't even give a report, whether good or bad, anyway, of a person you don't know. So you see that Timothy was a man that was planted in a local church. The brethren knew him. One of the, one of the benefits of being a member, or one of the major things membership does to you, is that it really identifies you as a believer. A person who says, I'm born again, he has a local church, is a suspect. He is a suspect. You know, and some of you know that. You know, recently, you know, one of the brothers in the church is going to get married, and amazingly, he's getting married to a lady from a church where I grew up. And they're asking him to bring a letter of recommendation from his pastor. Those kind of churches are serious-minded churches. Because you're not going to come take a sister from our church, and then we ask you, are you born again? You say, yeah, so... And you think that's all there is to being born again? How do we know you are born again? There has to be people who can attest to it. You can't just claim to be born again and there's nobody to witness to it. And it just can't be just anybody that says, oh, I think he's born again. He has a Christian name. No, it has to be people with whom you do the Christian life regularly. Like Timothy had here. And they said, the Bible says, he was well reported of by the brethren in Lystra and Iconium. Two locations. They knew him well. So it means there were many people that could witness and attest to the Christian character of Timothy. That we know him. He comes for meetings. He's serving in the church. We've seen the way he interacts with people. You know one of the reasons why you must serve in the local church is because it is in serving in the local church that we can observe your behavior. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Because we cannot follow you to work. Who are you? Are we your orderly? We can't follow you to your office and be monitoring you like monitoring spirit. But it's as you interact in the local church, you are in the music team, you are, you know, in, you know uh, hospitality, technical, media. So, for example, when we give instructions or discipline and correction, like we did to the uh, technical team and, and told them to fast, we're going to see how you're going to respond to that. That's how we begin to monitor your character and your behavior. Will you be the one who will call a bluff and say, fast, call, slow, knee, calm, you know? <laughs> and that's the reason why when you're being trained to be a leader in the local church you must learn what it means to be a leader in the local church to be a leader in the local church means you must have you know oversight if you're a disciple as we have it here in sunday school you have you know seven persons eight persons you see in your class your job is not just to teach them the bible which you must do but you must teach them, then observe how they are responding to what you are teaching. Is, that, is the word of God changing them? Or they are trying to just still remain the way they are? Do you see that? You watch them. And that's why when you correct people, you watch their reaction. When you rebuke people, you watch their reaction. See his body language. See her body language. Check if she's going to show up in the next service. You've got to check those things. Is he going to stop giving just because he's been corrected? So we can tell him your, men, your money perish with you. And the real thing Peter said in the literal is your money perish and you too. <laughs> because that's heavier, man, you know. I like that heavier one. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. You've got to watch. You've got to watch. What's, what's the reaction going to be? Because that's how you know. Oh, there's a disagreement between you and somebody on your team. Did you see that? So what is even the cause of the disagreement? Oh, well, the two of you felt you were led to 
that lady to be your beloved and at the end of the day she said yes to the other brother she didn't say yes to you so are you going to get angry and leave church or you're going to make an enemy out of that brother and that sister and pray against their courtship that he breaks <laughs> we're watching you man <laughs> got my eyes on you <laughs> this is what i'm saying now if you do not get involved in the local church how do we want to know all those things and that's why i think sometimes it's funny because i've seen those kind of cases happen i know there was someone who left the church uh less than two years ago and i don't even know what they look like i could care less because because you see they, they got it all wrong in the sense that they needed somebody in the leadership to be a reference or a referee for them to get a job and so i asked the basic questions are they members yet no they haven't taken membership class how long has she been coming to church Maybe less than six months we're not going to do that we're not going to become your referee proverbs 6 you got to read your bible you do not become a shorty for somebody you don't know in fact most banks will tell you, you want to be a reference or somebody will tell you hope you know the person well because this thing has implications if they commit a crime they're coming after you you see what i'm saying now Oh, but the person just flipped and never showed up in church again. I said, no problem. You don't need to follow up that kind of person. Good readance. Mm. Look at me. Well, I'm not the person that wants to remember at all costs. I don't. I don't. Do I want growth? Definitely. Why would I be walking if I don't want growth? But I don't want the growth that is not of God. It is the increase of God that we are after. Yes, are you hear what I'm saying now? Yes, it's the increase of God. Yes, sir. With somebody like that now, she will find the pastor she deserves. The pastor who is desperate. And he will just want to use that to tie her down. And he will also now use it against her to her and say, after all, we're there for you. I don't do that. I don't believe in that. If there's anything I've taught people over the years, I, do, I always tell people, never say, after all, I've done for you. Stop saying that. You see, because if you're saying that and thinking like that, it means you don't understand the law of sowing and reaping. The law of sowing and reaping does not say you will reap where you sow. It only says you will reap what you sow. And nobody can carry your harvest away from you. It's impossible. Reason is simply because God is the God of the harvest. He's the Lord of the harvest, not man. So your harvest is not with the people you did good to. Harvest is with God who is watching everything. So if that person is ungrateful to you, don't bother yourself. Don't kill yourself over it. Look to the Lord of the harvest. He will reward you. <laughs> and those of you, you need to understand, as you're growing in the ministry, you must understand that otherwise ministry will kill you. Because ministry is a part where there are a lot of offenses. Offenses that will likely come from ingratitude of man. A lot of pastors who have crumbled on the way and crashed out of ministry. Some of them have died, developed incurable disease because of pains. From the ingratitude of man. And they get bitter and they feel like, you know, you know why people this way, blah, blah, blah. You know, one day I was just strolling in my father's estate years back i was still you know i, I was still in Ife then i had not got married you know i just came to lagos like i was at their house i was just taking a walk in the evening and there was a church in the estate and as i was passing by that man's church i heard the pastor speaking and he was almost going to cause his members and he was making reference I said, can you imagine that was like that older sister too after everything we did for her we fasted we prayed now when god answered our prayer she forgot us ah. he mentioned about three cases just as i was walking by the church <laughs> And I said, the way this pastor is going, let me quickly walk faster because before it start raining curses on these people. <laughs> and I'll never forget, the Lord said to me that day, He said, You know, there's so many of those kind of pastors in the world. Poor old man of God. 
is embittered. Now, is it justified what those people have done? No, it's not. But is he also justified what he's doing now? No, it's not. You see what I'm saying? He's actually now causing more harm to his life. Because it is what he's doing, that kind of wrong reaction, that will make him now lose not only his habit, but his reward before the Lord. You see, I, I, I'm, I'm so blessed to have learned a critical lesson in ministry from day one. And I mean literally day one. When there was no member of my ministry, the Lord said to me, never strive over people. Never strive over people. Never strive over people. The Lord said that to me years back. And he said to me, if you will do that, you will never lack men. I see pastors fight over members. It's needless. The person is not your member, so why are you fighting over him? Let him go. Just let him go. If he's truly your member, he's going to come back. It might take him years, but he's going to realize it and he's going to come back. Are you seeing what I'm saying now? Because truly, we ought to learn in life, and it's not just in ministry, it applies in every area of life. You walk somewhere, they maltreated you, they fired you, they didn't pay your salary, you know, they even spoiled your name and slandered you. You don't need to now turn and say, you don't go better, except God did. Well, if God called me, if I you that you are not even the ordained minister, I say, if I be a man of God, we say, which one? Even just I wonder which man of God, where's the man of God here? I say, if I be a man of God, ah, this, well, before six months, this company will not exist again. Why are you doing like this? <laughs> you don't need to do all that. Always understand the Lord of the harvest is God. And He will always give you your harvest. Even when men refuse to, to uh, acknowledge what you've done right. When men refuse to be grateful, where in that courtship you, I mean, you give your whole heart to that brother, uh, you know, and he served you well. <laughs> Whatever he served you, breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Even added dessert to it. And then you're like, you know, ah, wherever you are, wherever you are, I'm looking for a name that is not going to implicate any of you. And you call that guy's name. Say, Joe, he no go better for you. Ah, well, if you wear, just make sure you go and wear the Pluto. But if it's on this earth, I will show up. I will be the one to say I have something against them. Pastors are smarter. They don't ask those kind of questions again. <laughs> Did you see what I'm saying now? You know, you've got, to, you've got to realize that. You've got to realize that. Why did we, how did we get into all that anyway? Some of you needed to hear that. You say what? Timothy, they knew him. Yes, that was where we were. Yes, so they knew him. So that's why you must be a member of the local church. So I was saying that in the local church, you will have disputes. In the local church, there will be differences. You have arguments, disagreements. The team lead is saying something, you know, you felt this was the beautiful idea in your mind. And then you share the idea, you are like, ah, ah, there is nobody in their right mind that would not like this idea. <laughs> and then after you share all your idea, you've done your PowerPoint presentation, everything, you use music background, all these things there. <laughs> and all that. And the leader says, no, 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 we're not going in that direction. He doesn't even say it twice. <laughs> You're like, they didn't use my idea. Nobody has ever refused my idea. <laughs> well, our name is not nobody. We are HOF. <laughs> and I tell you, sometimes the local church, those are the things God is using to train you. So when you don't get involved in the local church, you are missing a whole lot. 
It's part of why you continue to see, as we taught all through last month, on spiritual growth, that is a practically impossible thing for you to grow without being in a local church. You cannot. You can have a lot of knowledge about many things, but it's not going to translate to anything. Because it's just in your head. You are not in the atmosphere where that knowledge can be put to use that counts before God. Is somebody hearing me now? So Timotheus, Timothy, did you see, was a known disciple. But notice now, Paul had Timothy travel with him. Go back to chapter 16. Oh, thank you, Lord Jesus. Verse 2 again says, Which was well reported of the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium, him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters. For they knew all that his father was a Greek. So notice now that Paul has met Timothy here and Paul has brought him along to travel with him as an associate. And over the years, Timothy is learning and Timothy is growing. Timothy is learning and Timothy is growing. Timothy is learning and Timothy is growing. That is the making of a believer. Did you see this? It's learning, it's growing. By the time you go to 1 Corinthians, go there quickly with me. In 1 Corinthians and see some of these places, we're going to look at two scriptures that tell us the, the journey of Timothy from where Paul met him in Acts 16, and we see how he became something of worth in the hand of the Lord. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. 1 Corinthians, the fourth chapter. And we're going to see Paul is talking about Timothy. Let's begin reading verse 17. For this cause, in fact, let's start from 16, because it is what he said in verse 16 that made him say what he now said in verse 17. So verse 16, Paul says, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. You know, this is not the only time Paul said this. If you go to chapter 11, uh, you see him saying, the same, Be ye followers of me as I'm a follower of Christ. Did you see that? Say amen, somebody. Amen. Who does this? I heard us put their mouth in their tongue too. Verse 1, 1 Corinthians 11, you see, be ye followers of me even as I am also of Christ. So you see, but this is the first time he said it to the Corinthians here in chapter 4. And verse 16, wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Now what followers means to be an imitator. Did you see, in other words, observe me and imitate me. But in order to do that, Paul is now going to give them a reference point of a follower of Paul. So he says, be ye followers, did you see, of me. For this cause, what cause? So that you can learn how to follow me. So that you can learn how to follow me. You see, in a local church, as in this church, in any ministry that is a solid ministry, where real ministry is going on, there is going to be a set man. There, there must be a Timothy. Then there's going to be the faithful, and then there will be others. I'll say that again. The set man, the Timothy, the faithful and then the others you know you get that from second timothy 2 and verse 2 paul said the things you've heard of me and the things that thou hast heard of me among many witnesses the same commit thou to what faithful men who shall be able to teach who now others so look at that so who is talking paul who is he talking to timothy and he's telling timothy to commit to who faithful men and faithful men will commit to who others did you see that in this church mom is the timothy 
She's followed me longer than any one of you. She was here before all of you. Literally. This is what I'm saying now. And she's been following me and following me and following me and following me and following and she's still following. This is what I'm saying now. And, and that's the way. So Paul is saying there's a Timothy here. There's a Timothy here. Did you see this now? And he's telling them, if you will learn how to follow me, watch how Timothy follows me. Watch how Timothy follows me. When you come into a local church, you must, you must know the people you can reference. Look for Timothy. I've shown you mom is Timothy. Then look for the faithful men. I have them. The faithful men are the people in the core leadership of the church. You are all faithful. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you are now all faithful. <laughs> this is what I'm saying. But the faithful men are the ones that will commit it to others. And the others also begin to grow into faithfulness. It's a progression. In a ministry, everybody must learn to be faithful to where they are. Because it is as you are faithful to where you are that you keep advancing and advancing. One of the signs that will tell you a church is a weak church is where there is no distinction in that church. Everybody is the same. That's a very weak ministry. It, not only is it a weak ministry, it's a dishonest ministry. Because it's not possible for everybody to actually be the same in reality. It's not possible. People are not growing on the same level at the same rate. It's not possible. Are you seeing this now? Now, unfortunately, sometimes, many Christians make the mistake to think that it is just because of how long a person has been around. That's not it. Otherwise, it will be civil service. This is ministry, not civil service. Civil service people are rewarded for time, not necessarily for productivity. That's why Nigeria is the way it is. People are just being promoted. He's not doing anything. He has never taken any course since his secondary school certificate. And that's why he want to frustrate those who are coming in with all their certifications. Because he feels entitled. How can you, a little boy, where were you? By the time you were, you know, when, when I was graduating from, and that's what he's calling graduating, secondary school he's talking about. When I was graduating, I'm finishing my WAEC, which of which, in that WAEC, he had only two, two passes. The remaining is F9, parallel. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was writing my WAEC, your parents were not even yet in, in, in courtship. <laughs> so you now come here and say, because you have read more than I have read, that they should now do this lie lie, we will frustrate you in this, in this civil service. That's what is happening in Nigeria. There is no, there is no merit system. Yeah. But I tell you, in the kingdom of God, salvation is a pure gift of grace. But when it comes to the service of God, it is not based on gift. It is based on productivity. God is not going to put you in a role for which you have not proven yourself to be capable and faithful. He's not going to do it. Men may, but God wouldn't. God will not. And there's a whole lot of that in the body of Christ today. And that's the reason why, you see, when, when Samuel went to the house of, of Jesse to anoint the king in the place of Saul, you, you will notice that the, their father, Jesse, brought all of David's older brothers, Eliab, the first of them, and the rest of them, brought them before the prophet of God. And the prophet rejected them. God rejected them. Now, as God said, these ones don't have, they don't have the capacity. But do you know, in the human system, those were the ones that have been enlisted in the army. They shouldn't even have been in the army in the first place. Because their hearts were not right. But they were in the army. David, that had the right heart, was sent into the, into the wilderness to look after sheep. So sometimes the people that men and society are promoting, even in the body of Christ, they are not the ones that God approves of. Many times. 
And that was what God was trying to, you know, telling Samuel. And he said, I don't look the way men look. He said, I look at the heart. Do you see that? In other words, sometimes the people God, are, God wants to really use, they don't look like it. Because truly, Eliab looked like it. The guy was quite shoulder tall and all that. But God said, you know what? It doesn't matter the biceps of a man. If his heart is not right, he is completely a non-entity. As far as God is concerned. He has a physical look of it, but he is empty inside. Do you see this? You know, my father and Lord used to say, you know, the pastor he had years back used to say to them in Yoruba, but I'll interpret in English, I used to say, put substance into God's people. Put substance in so that they are not empty barrels that can easily be blown away by the winds of life. You see what I'm saying? Yes, there must be substance inside you as a Christian. And it takes time to put substance inside a person. It takes some time to put substance. I'm amazed at folks who say certain things and, and they, they think they are sounding supernatural. You see, you can talk about the supernatural when it comes to healing, miracle signs and wonders, but there is no supernatural when it comes to growth. Spiritual growth. You can never fast track it by supernatural anointing. Growth always takes time. There is no anointing that I can lay on you, put my hands on you now and say, by the, by the laying on of my hands, I, I impart to you all my experiences in ministry. It's not possible. You cannot impart experience. You cannot impart your journey into people's lives. It's not possible. You can only use your anointing as a leverage to help them out in different situations. But that does not mean they have become who you are. It's not possible. It's not possible. <laughs> you know, my friend Lord said he was in the place one time years back. And the man, after just doing like two or three days teaching, then he handed a certificate to all the participants. School of Ministry, and he said, General, 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 General. <laughs> so he now called him to pray for them. And he said, look, me, I will not deceive you. None of you is a general. <laughs> so he asked the man, he said, you, you yourself that is calling them general. How many years has it taken you to get to where you are? The man said, over 25 years. He said, so how do you now think they will become all those things in three days? He says, all of you, there is nothing general about you. There is no, except general nonsense. <laughs> you know, the boys on that, I see the boy guys, some people themselves, they like to be deceived. Because I see it all over, the, you know, social media these days. You see young boys say, I'm a general. General what? I'm General Piper. <laughs> you know that guy? Does he sing? <laughs> oh my God. You know, if anybody has ever told you that kind of thing, you might as well just forget about it. Because it's not true. You are not a general. Even in the army, it doesn't happen overnight. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> When the person is a lieutenant, I think lieutenant has 10 people under him. Becomes a captain, he has 100. When he becomes a brigadier, he has 1,000. A battalion. This is what I'm saying now. So, the, 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 look, and look at in the military. The number of people they can trust you with is based on your capacity. Which is developed through training and time. But people come in the body of Christ and they want to become whatever. Without going through the process of the training. It doesn't work like that. So Paul is now going to talk about Timothy who has been with him for years and see the things that matter as Paul is going to talk about Timothy as a reference point. So notice he says, for this cause, so we know what cause he's talking about. For this cause, which is for you to know how to follow me, have I sent unto you Timothy, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Did you see this? He's my beloved son and faithful where in the lord 
Did you see this? Who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ? Two things there. My ways. But my ways are my ways in Christ. In other words, they are the ways dictated by Christ. By his words. By his will. By his leading. Did you see that? He said, as I teach everywhere in every church. So it means Timothy definitely knows Paul's teaching, knows Paul's manner of life. Because Paul later said that in his writing to Timothy. He said, thou hast known. Did you see? The things you've learned and of whom you learned. He said, you've known my manner of life, my persecutions. Let's go see that. We're seeing a whole lot today, aren't we? Are you glad to see it? Glory to God. Verse 10 of 2 Timothy 3. 2 Timothy 3, verse 10. Paul says, but thou hast fully known my doctrine. So we're seeing attestation to what Paul is saying to the Corinthians about Timothy. But thou hast fully known my doctrine. Did you see this? My manner of life, my purpose, my faith, my long suffering. You know what these things suggest? Timothy followed Paul long enough to have seen Paul under many circumstances. Under different circumstances. You see, that's why it's, 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 people rob themselves when they quit from following their man of God. Just because of one situation. You lost. Because that's just one situation that you could have used as an opportunity again to learn. Observe the man. What's he going to do now in this kind of situation? Watch. Paul definitely and Timothy have come a long way. Timothy has observed Paul in prison. Seen how Paul would react when he was in prison for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is he going to relent now? Is he going to stop preaching? Is he going to stop writing? But alas, Timothy is seeing Paul still sending letters. And in those letters, you see him, particularly when he was in the, in the jail in Philippi. And he's still saying from jail, rejoice in the Lord. And in case you thought it was a mistake, again, I say rejoice. Philippians 4. <laughs> can you imagine that? I can imagine when Timothy got hold of that letter, and Timothy would say, what? Huh? I thought all these letters do joy, I don't do depression. By the time they beat you small, you will do depression. <laughs> Alas, Paul is writing from jail. And he's saying, rejoice. He said it twice in his letter to the Philippians. In chapter 3, finally, brethren, he said, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you, it's not grievous. For you, it is safe. Then in chapter 4, he said, rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice. Two times from jail. Those are the things Paul is saying. You know my manner of life. And you know my long suffering. Because you've seen it. You've seen it. You've seen me when I don't have much. You've seen that I'm not going to complain. And you've also perhaps even seen me sometimes yield to the flesh and complain and then i get my, a hold of myself again and i say no i take that back i take that back i take that back that's what makes a man of god doesn't mean that you saw everything perfect no what it means therefore is that timothy must have observed the growth of paul himself that there was a time my Paul used to react in a particular way about things but now he doesn't react that way again you know, you know, recently my daughter looked at me and she said, Daddy, when you, when you, when you, when you do your mouth, I see one side is going up like this. Is that you are, you are not, you are, you are angry. And I looked at her and I said, you this girl, God sent you to me. 
So I know it's why you're angry that you do that. I said, yeah. I said, you're right. <laughs> so I wanted her to do that. I said, so show me how, how. And then she knew it. No, the persons God can use to get you in your life, your wife and your daughter. <laughs> they will deal with you. <laughs> Especially your daughter. <laughs> You know, that's that sweet balance between reverence and boldness. No fear at all. She doesn't even fear. She doesn't even fear. She will say what she has to say. <laughs> so I don't look at her and say, where is this boldness coming from? <laughs> Did you see this now? And that's the thing. To observe. To observe. To observe. So when Paul is saying he has known my way, so he means there are certain things that he has observed in life of Paul himself in Paul's advancement as a believer that have become instructions for him to pass on to other people. While he might not necessarily be telling you, ah, when that was in this state, this is what he did, he will just tell you, this is not the way to do it. Because what? He has seen that under those circumstances at different times. Saw when he was not as mature and saw when he had become more mature. Are you seeing what I'm saying now? So let's go back to 1 Corinthians 4. Glory to God. So he says, for this cause have I sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you to remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Now, let's look at a second reference to Timothy's character and growth in his followership of Apostle Paul. When I look at your life, as you follow my ministry, one of the things I'm looking for is your growth. That's the major thing that I'm looking for. Can you say amen? Amen. And in chapter 2 of Philippians, we read from the 18th verse, and it says, For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy, verse 19, shortly unto you, that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. 20. For I have no man like-minded, who will naturally care for your state? Did you see this? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. So he tells you the first like-mindedness between Paul and Timothy is they have a heart for what Christ has a heart for. Did you see now? For all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. 22. But you know the proof of him that as a son, notice in the same way he said to the Corinthians about Timothy he said he's my beloved son and faithful in the Lord. Again he's saying the same of him. But you know the proof of him that as a son with the father he had served with me in the gospel. Can you see that? Served with me in the gospel. And this is why you know one major thing about sonship in the ministry is service. You serve your father. This is what I'm saying now. You serve. That's why in this local church that's our uh, uh, you know, standard and principle. Because that's the vision of God for the local church. is a place of sonship. It's a place of sonship. You come into a church, you might come in as a first-timer, and then you begin to grow, you're learning, then you go through Sunday school, you go to membership class, you begin to serve in the, in the stewardship of a church, and you begin to actively follow the ministry. And you find yourself growing into sonship. Sonship doesn't just happen because you come and say, I want to be your son. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. Sometimes people come and submit and say, the Lord led me to you to submit to you to be a, you know, to be a son to 
follow you in the ministry. Yeah, you only now, by that statement, made known your intention for coming close. But that does not mean you have become a son. When I accept you, when you come to me with that kind of request, and I accept you in, I have not made you a son. That's not how people become sons. I have only accepted you in so you can begin the journey into sonship. That's what it means. Because sonship must be proven, sonship must be developed over time. That's why I laugh when I see ministers who suddenly just call people their sons. Somebody they don't even know. Somebody that give him another few months, he may, he may actually look at you and call you by your first name. When your teaching and your principles rub him off on the wrong side, and he's not willing to conform to the word of God, we just call your bluff. Now you have celebrated him as your son all over the place. It will now be paining you. <laughs> My God. This is what I'm saying. Yeah. You've got to be careful. You've got to be careful. These things have very weighty implications. When a person becomes a son, truly, it's just like it is in the biological. The DNA must be there. A son does not struggle to be like his father. He doesn't struggle to be like his father. Once that connection is established, life is shared. Grace flows without stress. And I mean without stress. It's the reason why there were many sons of the prophet following Elijah. But only Elijah took the mantle that fell from Elijah. Because he was the one that really followed him. The rest are just talking about it. Do you know your master will take it? Uh, blah. There are a lot of talkers. There are not many followers. But you see, Elisha was a follower. Elisha was older than Elijah. And he was richer. He had oxen. That was a mark of wealth in Bible times. Yet, he left it. Within a, just a short notice. And followed Elijah. He left a certain future for an uncertain future. As it were. Followership comes at a cost. It's going to cost you something. And I must let you know that particularly for the Christian life, you cannot follow Jesus and not expect that it will cost you some things. And what it costs you is not, it's not about you paying for your salvation. No, you're already saved. But to follow Jesus now will cost you some things. To cost you some friendships, cost you from associations. It will cost you money sometimes. Some money that you would have made if you would compromise. But you dare not compromise. That's why I see Paul saying to Timothy, he said it's not only given to us for us to just be saved. He said it's also given to us to, to suffer persecution for Christ's sake. If you don't understand that basic thing about following Jesus, then how can you learn how to follow a man of God? Because today, and I think it's true, I saw you know something... Uh, earlier today and somebody was saying that the reason why there's a lot of depression amongst believers in this generation is because many believers today are only going to places where they are telling them what they can receive and therefore that makes them feel they are the center of everything and that is the see at the bottom and the root of depression there is an element of self selfishness is the blunt truth many people will not want to look here selfishness I've said this thing years ago, back in Ephraim then. At that time, depression was not the word that people were using. People were just, you know, you're sad, you're not feeling happy, blah, blah. And I said one time, I said, I've realized that at any point where you're feeling lonely, 
just begin to look for who you can reach out to and you see that your emotions will change the more self-centered you are the more the easier it will be to be depressed That's why we have instructions in the epistles not to think more highly. Romans 12 and verse 3. More highly than of yourself than you ought to think. But to think so badly. Even as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Why? Because if you, if you anchor your self-estimation on what God says about you, you will always have a stable emotion. You have stable emotions. Why? Because what God says of you can never change. The reality of that thing can never change. Then God's opinion concerning it can never change either. But with human beings, with things, it's going to change many times. And that's why people are so unstable. Emotions like, like yo-yo all over the place. Did you see this? So, but look at Paul's description of Timothy here. And you will see this is a real follower. This is a real follower. So it is this Timothy. So go to First Corinthians now, as we now go into the teaching. First Corinthians, First Timothy, I beg your pardon, chapter three and the fifteenth verse. First Timothy, chapter three and verse fifteen. And he said, "But if I tarry long." That thou mayest know how thou oughtest to behave thyself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. And that's why this is series three of spiritual home training. That's what we're doing this month. And our focus this time around is honor to whom honor is due. Honor to whom honor is due honor to whom honor is due build a culture of honor for yourself build a culture of honor for yourself because honor is a major factor in life if you want to succeed if you want to succeed if you want to live life and live it prosperously you've got to master the subject of honor did you see the practice of it. You build that culture of honor. God is a God of honor. And I keep saying anything void of honor is void of the manifest presence of God. God will never manifest himself in a place that is disorderly. He won't do it. He will not manifest himself. I say God is everywhere, but his manifest presence is not everywhere. He doesn't manifest himself everywhere. God is everywhere, is omnipresent, but his manifest presence is not everywhere. So there are, God is in the nightclub, but God is not manifest in the nightclub. To see the manifest presence of God, you must create room for it. And one of the major things that brings the manifest presence of God is honor. Is honor. You must honor the Lord in your home. Honor the Lord in your, your, your place of work. Honor the Lord in your heart. That's where it begins. There should be reverence for the Lord. When they came to the Lord Jesus in Luke 11 and asked him, teach us to pray, even as John taught his disciples to pray, he said to them, pray after this manner, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, to be revered. He's teaching them how to pray, and it starts with honor for the Lord. Honor for the Lord. Honor for the Lord. I said people, I've been to places where I literally 
struggled to preach there because there was disorderliness there. This is what I'm saying. I'm so used to order in my local church here. We're so ordered. See, everybody's seated in their right minds. I've been to places where you're teaching the word of God and people are literally having side talks. And they are not even keeping their voices down. Now, I believe those kind of people do not only lack spiritual home training, they lack actual real life training. I mean, home training from their family. Because they lack decorum. Just basic common sense. And sometimes, you know, we must come to a point, as you will see in this teaching, to realize that the local church is not a customer care center. It's not even a daycare center where your ego is to be massaged. And say, uh, if I say, if the care is not taken, they will come here and say, is there charging point where I can't? Because I need to be online as I'm in this service. I need to keep this phone. There's a chat. I must I just keep preaching, Pastor. Don't worry. I'm with you. But I need to be answering this mic. At some point, I may have to quickly, you know, do voice call. But don't worry. It will be very minimal. For the most part, it's just chat. But please, my phone has to be on. Otherwise, I will go to another church. <laughs> Again, like I told you earlier on, part of why there's so much cases of so many cases of depression in this generation because people are so self-centered. The church has to conform to you. Who are you? Who died and made you God? We celebrate you. We honor you. We love you. We respect you. But you to respect the church. Respect the body of Christ. Respect the house of God. Respect the call of God upon your set man. Respect the manifest presence of God. Our gathering is unto him. Not unto your ego. Are you hearing what I'm saying? (laughs) You know, I I see a lot of Christians who have never really experienced real Christianity yet. What they're experiencing is customer care. (laughs) <laughs> it's customer care. <laughs> because when you see what the core is saying, when I was growing up in church, my family church, all right, you will see people coming for workers' meeting. It used to be on Thursdays. Workers' meeting, that's what they call it, on Thursdays. People coming from work. As they are getting close to church like this, when they see that it's almost time for that meeting to start, you see adults running. As in running. As in, you see your daddy running like this. As in running, running, running like this. Because those days, I remember my, one of my, you know, the branches of our family church, there was a time they were doing construction. If you come late, you go and carry block. Yes. You go and carry block. They will tell you how many blocks you carry, about 12 or 24. You will carry it. As in, you or your whole father that you have children in the church. And none of them felt they were demeaning me. They were whatever, whatever. They saw it as unto the Lord. Because they knew that being late to that meeting had a gravity to it. The implication is spiritual. Are you hear what I'm saying now? So there was that reverence for God. No wonder there was a lot of manifestations of the things of the Spirit amongst them. That have now become history for a generation. That has no sense of honor for the things of God. Are you hear what I'm saying? That there is even a posture when you are sitting down in church. They come to the door, you slouch as if you are in the Piapalo. See, we come into church, you know, just, just do anyhow. You know, and I believe some of these things is an error that proceeded from leadership. 
Because women can do whatever they like because of where they're coming from. But when they come to the church, somebody has to tell them this is not acceptable. So yeah, people can come, you know, crude, but they cannot be allowed to remain crude. And we must also say because we don't want to offend them and then we don't tell them what is wrong. They will tell you, you don't do that here. Because you cannot do this at your office without somebody raising an eyebrow about it. So why would you come to church and then when they raise an eyebrow, you feel they are condemning you? No, it's not condemnation. They are teaching you how to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And it's a matter of time, if you embrace these corrections, you also will realize that now you are now in your right mind, which you were not before. Because you, you see how those trainings spill over to the different areas of your life. And you begin to see the responses people will give you that ah, your head is now correct. You know, sometimes when people now tell that your head is now correct, that you realize that it was not, uh, you know, before, before. So honor is, is, is fundamental in the Christian life. You must learn honor. Because actually, honor has to be learned. It has to be learned. I tell you about honor, about the Christian life. There are some things if they don't teach you, you will never know. <laughs> you will never know. And sometimes what you don't know is haunting you. It's hurting you. And you just don't know. They don't talk like that. That's not the way things are done. Protocols. You know, sometimes people get into a life of disfavor because honor is missing in their lives. And I'll tell you this, if you lack honor, if you don't know how to work and live in honor, one of the greatest consequences for it is disfavor. Doors being shot, doors being shot all over the place. Doors being shot all over the place because there is no honor. So we're going to learn what exactly honor is. We're going to learn who do we honor. We're going to learn to what degree do we honor people. And you see this. So we're going to be looking at this, expounding on the subject of honor as it applies to different facets of our life. So we must understand the honor that is due unto the Lord. First Chronicles 16.29 First Chronicles 16.29 Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So notice it says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. The word glory here is from the Hebrew word kabod. It's from the Hebrew word kabod. The word glory here is from the Hebrew word kabod. Did you see this? And that word kabod is also translated as honor. If you check the word kabod in your Hebrew dictionary, you will see that one of the translations or interpretations or meanings of the word kabod is honor. Did you see this? It was King David that was speaking actually in 1 Chronicles 16, 29. When he says, give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name, bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. So in other words, David is saying, listen, there is honor due to God alone. There is the honor of God. He's telling the nation of Israel, there is honor that you give unto the Lord. And you must learn that honor. Did you see this? 
He says to them, bring an offering. That offering is supposed to express that honor. Did you see this? And that's just one of the ways, not all of it, as we're going to see now. Then he says, and come before him. Meaning, you don't send it to him. You bring it and you come before him with your offering. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Like the, like the Macedonians in, in 2 Corinthians 8. Paul said, this they did, not as we hoped. But first gave themselves to the Lord. And then unto us, according to the will of God. You come yourself. Let me tell you, the reason is because you are more important than your offering. It is the acceptance of you that now makes your offering itself acceptable. You're going to see it in this teaching. There is a way you can give your offering that is dishonorable to the Lord. Now I teach every opportunity I get either publicly in meetings like this or one-on-one. And I've seen some of you when you want to give and say, that I paid my partnership. I say, you don't pay your partnership. You give it. It's not tax. But does it matter that I use that kind of expression? Oh, yes, it does. Because that's what's on your mind. You're not paying it. God is not holding you to your neck or putting a gun to your head to say, if you don't pay, I, I shoot you now. No. It has to be willing. If there first be a willing heart, then it is accepted according to that which a man hath, not according to that which he has not. Some little things that matter. No woman, I would pray a few days ago, and one of our sons was around, and, and I said to him, and the Lord said to me, Tell him when next he wants to send his seeds, he should not mix the seed of his church and his own personal seed together because his money is not church money, church money is not his money. The Lord said to me, he's going to bring great breakthrough to his life and ministry. It was in prayer the Lord said to me. Because sometimes I always tell people, I don't have a personal agenda for your life. As a pastor, as a spiritual father. A spiritual father is somebody who physically represents the fatherhood of God over his people. Therefore, he cannot lead them by his own agenda. He must lead them according to the agenda of God. I hear what I'm saying now. So, it was the Lord who raised that to me and said, no, no, no. Tell that young man to pay attention to that. Somebody will say, does it matter? Oh, oh yes, it makes all the world a difference. As he is going to see the difference between the flow of abundance into his life now. And he did it immediately. So I thought you got to be a fast learner. Fast learner. Fast learner. There's always said to me, that I just sent you a token. I said, no, you can't send me a token. I don't take token. I don't take token. Seed. It's your seed. It's not your token. Are you hear what I'm saying? It's your seed. It's not your token. Don't despise your seed just because you think it's small. That's why it's called seed. Have you seen big seed? I know, of course, it's relative as you grow. So at that point where your seed is just maybe 1K or 5K, I hear what I'm saying now. You don't have to look down it and say that it's just a token. Don't talk like that. I don't train people to behave that way. Don't despise your gift. It's what you have at your level. That's why what God is measuring is the faithfulness. It's only an hungry father or hungry pastor that will not be saying, Cherish it, you know, I'll be Dr. Seed. <laughs> now, of course, if, if, if your giving is below your capacity, I will call you to order. And you know what I'm saying? I'm going to tell you, you should be giving more than that. What kind of, who are you mocking? That's the truth. 
But when you give at your level, no matter how small it is, that's my job in your life to let you know it is not small. You are giving according to your capacity. Because you must understand what makes it an offering, what makes it a gift, a seed, is that it is your own. You can't steal somebody's money and say you sow it. That's not seed. That's a curse. The Bible says the curse of the Lord is in the heart of it, uh, house of a thief. So you can't carry money that is not your own. They, they contribute their money in your place of work. They say you should keep it. You say, ah, I'm going to bring this in. By the time I sow, when harvest comes, I will return their money. No, sir. You will never see harvest for that one. For it to be seed, it must be money under your complete control. That it is your own money. If your parents give you school fees to go and pay school fees, you can't sow it, sir. I'm telling you now, I put it to you. It's not seed. Even at your level, maybe your family gather now, they say you should jackpot, and they, they, they gather money. Auntie brought uh, 2,000 pounds. Uh, another uncle brought another 3,000 pounds. I mean, community money that they gather for you to go and study abroad. You know, I say, ah, as I was the service of the, 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 I, I tell you that that flow was so flowing, like, you know. Ah, my God. Ah, I know. See that, you know, society speaking, I said, now finally my one millionaire seed has come. No, it hasn't. It hasn't. Because that money was contributed and given to you for a purpose. It's not your own. Don't sow it. It is the one that is your own, your absolute control. And I can tell you that's the reason why you see, when you work and they pay you salary and you take from it, it has power. You know, somebody who is a financial expert in America, Dave Ramsey, wonderful man, he says something very powerful. He said, it is impossible to build wealth without income. That's the truth. And he was talking about the fact that if you are owing, one of the first things you want to do, if I said one of the major secrets of wealthy people is they get out of debt and they stay out of debt. Because when you are out of debt and you stay out of debt, then you have absolute control over your income. Then you can plan it, you can invest it, you can use it. When you are in debt, your income is blocked. Because as money is coming into your hand, you have to do what? Siphon it to something else. To service debt and all those kind of things. And I believe strongly that's why the anointing of the Holy Ghost in this church will get you out of debt. Doesn't matter how deep, how neck deep you are into it. However, I told you, God cannot rescue you from a harvest for which you are continuing to sow seed. You can't keep sowing seed towards something and you are saying, God, deliver me from the harvest of it. No. Because by, as you keep borrowing, borrowing, you are saying, God, leave me with my debt. I like it. And God will not force you out of what you want to stay in. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Yes, Say amen, somebody. Amen. So you see, because there's honor in everything. How you give, what you give. Did you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Because you see, your... Your, your salary, your money, your income, it represents your life. Because you spend the time of your life to earn it. That's why it's impossible to say, I love the Lord and I don't give. How? So you see David telling them, he said, give unto the Lord the glory, the honor, kabod, due unto him. He said, bring an offering. And he said, you, come before him. In, fact, in Bible times, you will bring your offering, you will stand by your offering like this. So God can identify this person who brought this nonsense. Now, when they see that, 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 that goat with, with, with two left legs, God will say, who is the owner of that goat? And he's saying, meh, there. He said, you are your goat. Follow your goat with that sound. Meh, I'm go, I'm go out of my presence. 
He said it to them in Malachi. He said, see all these kind of nonsense animals you have brought as, as, as sacrifice before the Lord. He said, you go and give it to your governor and see whether it will be pleased with you. He said, so if your human governor, that is leaders in your society, cannot take this from you, so it's me you're bringing it to? Are you seeing this now? Because there is, there is honor due to the Lord. There is honor due to the Lord. That statement David said in First Corinthians, First Chronicles sixteen twenty nine is also recorded in the book of Psalms twice. Psalm twenty nine verse two: Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You also find it in Psalm ninety six verse eight: Give unto the Lord the glory due unto His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Did you see this? So King David is saying that there is an honor that is to be given unto the Lord only. Honor that is deserving only of someone of God's stature and worth. This honor is not to be shared nor given to another. Not man, not angels. Are you seeing this now? So how do we honor the name of the Lord? Number one, we must honor his name. We must honor the name of the Lord. You see, the Jews were taught to hallow the name of the Lord. When you go read Bible commentary, you will see amazingly that the Jewish scribes would wipe their pens, did you see, and wash and cleanse themselves physically just so they could write and feel worthy to write the name of God. You don't understand? He's writing. Huh? He wants to write God's name. So he's writing. When he gets to the point he wants to write Yahweh, he will first wipe the pen. In other words, to separate the use of that pen from all the other things he has written. Did you see? Before he now writes God's name. And before he does that, after wiping the pen, he will go and bathe. He will bathe himself. It was said that if at all he made a mistake in that writing that includes the name of God, they will dispose that book and write another one again. That is how much they fear the name of the Lord. Did you see this? And you notice there's, there's, there's something Isaiah said about that. Let's go quickly to Isaiah 59, 19. So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west. Did you see this? What shall they fear from the West? The Come on now, talk to me. What shall they fear from the West? The name of the Lord. Now, when he says the name of the Lord, do you think he's just talking about the pronunciation of his name? No, his authority. Are you seeing this now? You know, so you might never have used Jesus in a curse statement or use it as, you know, uh, uh, in a dishonorable way in your, your conversations, and yet you are not honoring the name of the Lord. Because to honor the name of the Lord is not just about J-E-S-U-S. You know, to honor the name of the Lord means to honor his lordship. It means to honor his authority. Are you seeing this now? So shall they fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory. And again, Kabod, honor. His honor from the rising of the sun. When the enemy shall come in. All right, the comma is not in the right place. When the enemy shall come in, comma, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord. It is the spirit of the Lord that comes like a flood. Say amen to that. So, you, you're, you're seeing that now. So, in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 11, but let's start from Exodus 20. Exodus 20, verse 7. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord, thy God, in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Deuteronomy 5, 11. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. It is repeated again. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. So in other words, to not take the name of the Lord in vain means, you know, uh, something's going on. 
you know, you're trying to, you know, establish your own part of the story and you say, you know, I, I swear by the name of the Lord concerning this thing. It is not just that you mentioned J-E-S-U-S or Yahweh. It is the fact that you have used the authority of God over that matter. Are you getting this now? So, because the word name, as we will see also in the New Testament, or Noma. So, even your name, the spelling of it, what it connotes is your authority, your worth. And that's why you see when a person lacks character, they say his, his, name, his name worth nothing. May that never be you. Amen. So his name is worth nothing. There's a, you know, there are people you call their name, there's nothing. You can't move anything. You can't move. You can't open door. You can't. There's nothing. You get what I'm saying? You, sh- you should live your life in such a way that if your name is mentioned somewhere, just because they mentioned your name, they can, they can wave a lot of checks. So if it's truly from this person, let's know it, then I, can t- I, I know it's, it has to be good. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? So when he says you, should, you will not use the name of the Lord your, of God in vain, that's what he's trying to say. His authority, the weight of his name. You don't just throw it around without purpose. Did you see this? Your home, your family, for example, you don't use your dad's name in vain. Before you get to a point, you have to say, Daddy said. You have to be sure Daddy really said it. Or somebody tells you that it is Daddy that said you should stand up. The reason why you stand up because they said it is daddy that said you should stand up is because you honor daddy's name. Are you getting this now? It's not as my house, you know, maybe they're playing and maybe, you know, play with Minister Fikewa and so on. And so my, my son will come and say, daddy, tell Minister Fikewa that you should, you, should, you should give me that. <laughs> you know what he's trying to do? He's trying to use my authority. To tell Minister Fikewa that you should, you should give that thing to me. And when he does that, I laugh at him. I say, why, why should I say that? <laughs> I say, why, why should I? What have you done? What's going on with you? Tell me. Because that he's trying to use my name. Ah. So, what you say, daddy said. So, it's not the spelling as D A D D Y that's the issue. It is what? It is the weight, the authority. Did you see that now? So, when he says, you will not use the name of the Lord your God in vain. So, you don't come and say, I perceive in my spirit the Lord is leading me to come and shove under you. And then a few months down the line, we correct you and you walk away. So we are wondering, what about the Lord? <laughs> what happened to the Lord? <laughs> that is one of the ways people use the name of the Lord in vain. But you said God led you to this courtship. Because usually when people come into certain situations where it's not a serious matter of anything. There's no violence or anything in the relationship. Maybe some disagreements out there. You know, another and then is there. And, uh, you know, you know, and you know, start giving all those signs. Start picking call again, you know, and then you know the brothers try, 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 and everything, and you know the ladies start using body to talk. You know, every conversation, one word answers. Mm, mm. In fact, you know, it first one word, yes, no. Then it starts turning to sound. Mm, mm. <laughs> See the deterioration. Mm-hmm. There's no time. Total silence. And you don't know she's observing silence for the dead relationship. <laughs> <laughs> That's why. <laughs> and then, you know, and usually when people bring those matters, one of the first things I ask them is, but you said God said you should come to the relationship. Where did you leave that one? Where did you put it? What happened? Eh... Uh, Actually, you know what he was saying? Actually, they want to tell lies. 
You know, they want to tell lies now. Actually, uh, uh, and let me tell you this as a believer. For any matter where you claim to have heard God, if it will change, make sure you heard God. Don't let any other thing change it, except the Lord says otherwise. It's called honor. Many Christians lack character when it comes to things like that. You said the Lord said. So as the Lord now said otherwise, no. But, uh, but, but me no but. But, uh, uh, mm, mm, mm. Ah. Oga, you are not serious. I see them all over the place. And some people are so even, so bad behaved, ill behaved, ill mannered, that they just up and leave. Of course, because they know where they are coming to. That I can tell you, and I can say boldly, when the person comes to say, the Lord said something, I can tell you that this is not God. I'm not one of those pastors that has weak, you know, very lily-livered, who you come and use God said to bamboozle me. Me? No. I, can't, I, I don't have to hear God for you. But if it is our God that you are saying is talking to you, I will know whether it's God that is talking. Because we all know him. There are some reasons when you say it's God that said it, we say, ah, is there another God? <laughs> if he sees this same God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, he cannot say what you said. <laughs> ah, it's not him that said this nonsense that you are saying. Ah, it's not him that said this nonsense. I, mean, I will say it to your face. Now, God, no be God, they talk. This is your emotion talking, sir. This is your emotion. Because when, people, when, you, when you come to say the Lord said when he didn't say, you are using his name in vain. You have no honor for his name. You have no honor for his name. And I say to ministers as well, a pastor has to be careful to just throw God said, God said all over the place. There are times where it's better to just say, I perceive. Until when you are really sure. Because sometimes we think God is speaking and it's not God. You should always give that allowance. Especially when that is going to have an effect on other people's lives. Just up and just throw it around. The Lord said. That's a heavy statement. The Lord said. The Lord. Five years from now, if I ask you the same thing, will it still be the same answer? Because you can be sure, if it is the Lord, 10 years from now, it will be the same thing. 15 years from now, it will be the same thing. So all this God said, God said, causing confusion all over the place. It's a lack of honor. It's a lack of honor for the Lord. It's a lack of honor for the Lord. We must honor the name of the Lord. We must honor the name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus for that taught his disciples to hallow the name of the Lord. In Luke 11, I mentioned it earlier on. And he said unto them, verse 2, When ye pray, say, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. So now, the word hallow here means to make holy or to consecrate. So when he says, Our, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, the word hallow here means to make holy or to consecrate. Other translations of the Bible render it even more beautifully. NLT, New Living Translation says, Jesus said, this is how you should pray. Father, may your name be kept holy. May your kingdom come soon. The Passion Translation, so sweet. He says, so Jesus taught them this prayer. Our Heavenly Father, may the glory of your name be the center on which our life turns. May the glory of your name 
be the center on which our life turns. May your Holy Spirit come upon us and cleanse us. That's where the person puts it. So we do not call the name of the Lord just as though we are calling upon a friend, a servant, or any mere mortal. He is the Lord. He is our Father. Come on, I said he is the Lord. I said he is our Father. Did you see? And even though he's our Father, yet he is the Lord. So we are not to call his name falsely. Leviticus 19.12 And ye shall not swear by the name, by my name falsely. And that's what I was talking about earlier on. Neither shall thou profane the name of thy God. He said, I am the Lord. Ye shall not swear by my name falsely. That's what I was explaining earlier on. So you don't use the honor of the Lord to back up a lie. You don't use it to manipulate people. Say, God said, and you know you're telling lies. But you want to use God said as a rubber stamp to manipulate people. A pastor should never stand before God's people and say, the Lord said, you should do so and so. When he knew in his heart at that time that God never said so. That's going to cause judgment to come upon him. A believer should not do that in his interaction with other people. Never use the name of the Lord falsely to cajole people. Because you know they will honor God. And therefore do what you are saying. And so you are using his name to hoodwink people. And these are things that happen all over the place. Are you seeing this now? Amongst friends, in ministry, in homes, in marriages. This is what I'm saying. Just wake up and say, you know, I know if I tell him he won't take it. So let me just say God said so. That's witchcraft. And if you don't repent from that kind of thing, God's going to judge you. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Yeah. God's going to judge you. So the name of the Lord must not be used falsely. Say amen, somebody. Amen. Now, the word name in the Hebrew Old Testament is most often translated from the Hebrew word Shem. S-H-E-M. Shem. And the word Shem actually means honor, authority, or character. I'll say it again, the, name, the word name in the Old Testament Hebrew is most often translated from the Hebrew word Shem, S-H-E-M, which means honor, authority, or character. It usually means more than just an appellation or a nomenclature. In the New Testament, the word name is translated from the Greek word onoma, O-N-O-M-A, onoma, which is interpreted as authority. The weight of a person, like we said before, is their name. Are you seeing this? The weight of a person is their name. And the weight of a person is in their name. All the weight of a man is in that man's name. Is in that man's name. There are families in the world today that their great-grandchildren are still reaping the benefits of the weight of their family name. In Nigeria, for example, Awolowo. You see what I'm saying? One of his grandsons has, is, is literally enjoying the weight of that name. Served with many governments. You see what I'm saying? Giving a lot of appointments in government. That name is opening doors for him. You see, it's not necessarily by his own performance. It's the weight of that name. So now you ask yourself, what's in the name? Weight is in the name. Yeah, substance. Substance is the reason why scripture says severally that a good name is better than silver. 
because it carries more weight. In other words, when you put it on a scale, a good name weighs heavier than money. Meaning it will command money. And whereas the lack of a good name can make you suffer lack of money. Did you see this? And let me tell you something. Your name is the aggregate of your doings. There are things you can do that will reduce the weight of your name. There are things that you can do that will continue to add to the weight of your name. So you can literally add to the weight of your name by your actions, by your words, and you can also literally reduce and remove from the weight of your name by what you're doing. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? So be conscious of your name. Be conscious of your name and what your name is worth. Even, even with, you see, there is, a, there is, there are, I'll just follow that, that, that flow. You see, there are, I'll show you a few things you can do to add to the weight of your name. Your moral disposition largely affects the weight of your name. It's either adding to it or taking away from it. Your competence is either adding to the weight of your name or taking away from your name. We celebrate athletes. We celebrate uh, entertainers because of their what? Their competence. Their competence. If you are incompetent, you are reducing the worth of your name. So who did this chair? So wow, fantastic. What's happening? Like there, weight is added. But they sit down on the chair like this. They it breaks. Their leg break. <laughs> He said, ah, he not go better for boys. He will make this shit. <laughs> but this man made a good one for us. <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying now? Yeah. It's the weight of your name. Oh. It's the weight of your name. When you saw clothes and they are one, is it carpenter that made this clothes? <laughs> or a shoemaker? <laughs> Eh? You start food canteen. They come to eat the yam there and they are wondering, what are we eating? Is it yam or pounded yam? Because... <laughs> you know those kind of pounded yam where you need both a goosey and palm oil. <laughs> when you get to some places, it's yam, so you use oil. When you get to where there's pounded yam, you use the goosey to eat it. So it's actually a full cost meal. They brought a lot of these components together in it. <laughs> Truly, why would people lodge in certain hotels in the world? They have a name. Marriott, for example. They have a name. And anytime you go to any of the hotels in the world, and you see the attention to details, you know what they are trying to protect? The weight of that name. Because if the quality drops, what's going on? The weight of that name is reducing gradually. There are places I knew growing up in Lagos that their name had a great weight and worth. But now, is it possible for if, if your weight is music, can you raise it again? Yeah, sure. You can. Put in the work. Put in the work. Another thing that can add to your weight is your integrity. Let your word be your bond. Let your word be your bond. If you say you are going to do it, then do it. The Bible says, a faithful man will swear to his own heart. 
a faithful man the bible says we swear to his own heart do you know what that means it means that because he has given his word in spite of changing circumstances that are no longer as commodious conducive as they were when he made the promise he will still go ahead to fulfill that promise he will say oh well when i said it i thought but now things have changed so there's nothing i can do did you see this he says it was in whose eyes a vile person is condemned but he honored them that fear the lord he that swear to his own not and changed not do you see that now i think there's a tradition that says a faithful man will swear to his own heart but that's it anyway did you see that to his own heart meaning even when it's not convenient he will still keep his word look at him for me say keep your word i tell you, you know in marriage and say you know like I told you, you don't do what I'm saying in sickness and in health, but in all circumstances, I will stand with you. I will stand by you. So it's not the one that you now see that things are not going right. You say, whoa. Yeah, I whoa. I, we don't suffer too much with my family. I know if one feels stayed there, uh, whoa. I beg, I beg, I beg, I beg, I beg, I beg. For better, for stay, for, 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 for worse, for jackpot. <laughs> So no me born you now your mama feel me sacrifice like that to me i know i know be idol worship i don't feel sacrifice anything for anybody <laughs> <laughs> did you see this now so the name of the lord is the authority by which men are saved and kept safe proverbs eighteen ten. the name of the lord is a strong tower the righteous runneth into it and he's safe acts four twelve. neither is there salvation in any other for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved you see this our lord jesus mentions that men are condemned because they refuse to believe on the name of the lord john three eighteen. you see that apostle paul goes on to teach that whoever calls upon the name of the lord shall be saved romans ten thirteen. hallelujah glory to god so let's move on from there number two we must honor god's things we must honor god's things honor god's things the heavens and the earth for example the jews were warned to not swear by the heavens because they perceived the heavens as god's throne neither by the earth because it is his footstool matthew 5 34 to 35 but i say unto you swear not at all neither by heaven for it is god's throne 35 nor by the earth for it is his footstool neither by jerusalem for it is the city of the great king and this is just because of the honor for his name Moses said in his teaching, did you see, this same thing the Lord Jesus was saying in Exodus 9.29, and Moses said unto him, as soon as I am gone out of the city, I will spread abroad my hands unto the Lord, and the thunder shall cease. Neither shall there be any more hail, that thou mayest know how that the earth is the Lord's. In Deuteronomy 10.14, behold, the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's, thy God, the earth also with all that therein is. And of course, you know, the psalmist said that Psalm 24 verse 1, Paul quoted it in 1 Corinthians 10, 26 and 28. Psalm 24 verse 1, the earth is the laws and the fullness thereof, the world and those that dwell therein. In 1 Corinthians 10 verse 26 and verse 28, Paul makes reference to it, for the earth is the Lord's, verse 26, and the fullness thereof, in verse 28 of 1 Corinthians 10. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that should it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. Number three, where to, they, they, they talked about the Sabbath. 
That is, we've seen heaven and earth and the same as God's things that must be honored. So we're looking at honoring God's things. We've seen heaven and earth and then the Sabbath in the Old Testament. Did you see this? But listen to this verse about the Sabbath, that the idea of the Sabbath is to honor the Lord. Because it, it communicates the consecration of our time as a means to show honor unto the Lord. You see in Exodus 20, verse 8 to 11, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou nor thy son nor thy daughter. Did you see this? Thy manservant nor thy maidservant nor thy cattle nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that in them is. And rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and allowed, consecrated it. Did you see now? So, they were told to do to the Sabbath exactly what God did with it. To rest on the Sabbath day. In Luke 19.30, when the Lord Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, in what is called the triumphal entry, and I'm showing you this because whatever is consecrated to the Lord, listen to this, must be consecrated even before time. That is... You already set a day apart. You set a thing apart. I will not touch this one because it's for God. Even ahead. That's the reason why I've told you. And I, you see, if you, if you follow these simple instructions, you will see greater degrees of prosperity in your life. Simple instructions such as I've told you, your God account. Where as money comes into your hand, did you see, in the course of the month, you're taking that percentage and you are just setting it aside. And at the end of the month, you gather it together and give it unto the Lord. That separation that you are doing gradually, it means honor to God. And I tell you, as we see in Proverbs 3, 9, he said, honor the Lord with your substance and with the first fruits of your increase. The key word there is the honor. And notice what he says, the response will be abundance. Your vats will bring forth new wine. Did you see your bands will be filled with plenty? If you give, but you are not giving with honor, you will not see the harvest the way it should come. Are you hearing what I'm saying now? The things that belong to the Lord should be reserved. They should be set apart. Completely. And I tell you, if you let him, the Lord wants to lead you in the use of your time. Did you see this? So we must honor the Lord's things even before we, we give them. And that's where we're looking at Luke 19.30. In Luke chapter 19 and verse 30, where Jesus was coming into Jerusalem, what is known as the triumphal entry, saying, go ye into the village, Jesus gave this instruction over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sat. Loose him, Jesus said, and bring him Either. Why did Jesus not say, just pick any donkey you see? But he told them, by word of wisdom, because it's seen by the Spirit. See, you are going to actually find it. He told everybody they will find it. Say, and the one you will bring to me is the one nobody has ever used before. Don't be giving God used things. To make it a habit of giving God used things is to give God useless things.
Why don't you pray in the morning? Why is it when you are used up and tired at night that you now plan to pray? When you are already exhausted, what you have simply done in that situation is you are giving God your used time. Why didn't you give him the fresh moments of your day? That's why the best time to have devotion is in the morning. It's the best time. Except under very rare circumstances. But that's the best time. You start your day with God. That you start your day with God is honor. Don't be opening your Bible after you open Facebook and Instagram or Twitter. That's dishonor to the Lord. Give God your own. See, as the day is fresh, unused, you've not used yourself, your time, your devotion for anything else. That's the time to use it to, to worship God. That's your fresh moments of your day. Not after your boss has used you. Social media has used you. Eh? Lagos traffic has used you. <laughs> then you not get to. Ah. Olua. Ah, kweshi o itoku lambere o. You know those kind of useless things giving. Say God, nobody say we no say thank you. Now the remaining we just ask. Why you go give us the rest? <laughs> Tired, exhausted, even your tongue is sleeping. <laughs> so, of course, of course, yeah, my son. And you know, God will look at you and say, nah, So, this is what I'm worth in your life. What happened to you, those fresh moments of your day when you just woke up from bed? What happened to glory to God at 5 a.m.? What happened to blessed be God? What happened to good morning, Jesus? Good morning, Lord. I know you come from heaven above. The Holy Spirit teach us the truth. Good morning, Jesus. Good morning, Lord. In the morning, early in the morning, in the morning, I will rise and praise you. In the morning, in the morning, hallelujah, early in the morning, oh, in the morning, I will rise and pray. Sing it again. In the morning, in the morning, every morning, early in the morning, oh, yes, in the morning, I will rise and praise the Lord. I will praise the Lord, oh, I will praise the Lord. When I'm alive, I am for Jesus. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise the Lord. Yeah, I will praise the Lord. When I'm alive, I am for Jesus. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise Him. I will praise the Lord. Yeah, when I'm alive, I am for Jesus. I will praise the Lord. All right, all right. What happened to all that in the morning? Many of you heard it growing up. Let your children hear it from you too. But more importantly, let God hear it. Those were songs that will sound from house to house those days in Christian homes. Hymns in the morning. Forth in thy name, O Lord, I go my daily labor to pursue the only deed 
Resort to knowing all I speak or think of do. Give me to bear thy easy yoke and every moment watch and pray. And still to think eternal look and hasten to that glorious day. Ah. I'm on my own. Look at this generation. <laughs> You wake up in the morning in one one one. You see? Yeah. Early in the morning. You know these days technology has come to content for that time. Don't allow it. Don't allow it. Because your life belongs to him. And the your life is broken down into pockets of time. So your life, your time is one of God's things that you must hallow, you must honor. I'll say it again. Your time, your life is one of God's things that you must honor. The time of our lives. Sam is that our times are in your hands, oh God. Our times are in your hands, oh God. Let's not live our lives as if we own ourselves. We are his people. We are the sheep of his pasture. It is he that made us and not we ourselves put that sound on the screen it is he that made us and not we ourselves we are his people we are the sheep of his pasture go to the next verse go to the enter into his gates did you see that so if you truly accept that you are his sheep and that it's not you that made yourself that he made you then what should you do you should show up before him you should present yourself before the lord i know we we god lives in us yes we are not entering into his presence it's true but there is a place, a time we must consecrate just to be with him. The Lord, I'm before you between so-so time and so-so time every day as the first. The best way to enjoy the best of God is to give God first place. If you want to see the best of God in your life, give him first place. He said to them, a coat tied upon which no man has ever reading or laid. No man has ever used it. If Jesus gave that instruction concerning the cult, you can be sure that is the disposition of God concerning anything that we give to him. The one no man has ever used. The one you will not give to a man. That you give to me first before you give to others. That's the way of God. I told you I practice it. And since, you know, I started saying this in 2019 about God account. Since I started practicing it, my life changed. I'm telling you now. 2019, when the Lord told me about God account, as I started doing it, and I practice it till now, till today, I'm telling you, every day of this life, if if you give me 1,000 naira now, as I'm talking to you, the first thing I will do is to remove my percentage of that 1,000 naira that I've dedicated to the Lord. And I will transfer it straight to my God account. That account is strictly for that purpose. I don't use that account to buy anything. I open that account just to keep what I have consecrated to the Lord. And at the end of the month, whatever it accumulates to, I give you. And I discovered since 2019 till now, it keeps increasing. Because whatever you consecrate to the Lord will increase because there is life inside it. Everything in life, everything in this physical world is deteriorating. But when the life of God is injected into something, the life of God is above corruption. Every other thing that is outside of the life of God is subject to corruption. 
when you consecrate your time consecrate your resources to the lord and give it to the lord in honor you see how you will be a better a better custodian of your time when you start giving god your first moments of the day because wisdom will come to you from there on what to do what not to do we have to be led by the spirit of the lord on a daily basis because it's as we show up before him in the morning that we get clearance and clarity clearance on what to do clarity on how to do it when to do it with whom to do it that the things you were contemplating on doing before as you come into the place of devotion with the lord it begins to purify your motives it begins to correct your intentions because most of the time our intentions are based on half knowledge sometimes it's not even up to half because we don't know what's going to happen six hours down the line but when you when you fellowship with the one who is all knowing it's a leverage beloved it's a leverage you can't give god your first moments of every day and still live a wasted life it's not possible because god will he will help you preserve your time and use it the most profitable way only when you honor him he said those who honor me i will honor them i will honor them so we give god the best in john 12 14 to 6 now jesus we and jesus we have found a young house i'm showing you other accounts of it all right how he says in john 12 14 to 6, and jesus when he had found and jesus when he had found a young ass sat thereon as it is written fear not daughter of zion behold thy king cometh sitting on an ass's court these things understood not his disciples at the first but when jesus was glorified then remember they that these things were written of him and that they had done these things unto him did you see this uh you will see in zechariah 9 9 this when he said it is it was written he's referring to zechariah 9 9 this way it was written rejoice greatly o daughter of zion shout o daughter of jerusalem behold thy king cometh unto thee he is just and having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass and upon a colt the foal of an ass so notice he did not ride on a used donkey his was to be a consecrated one when jesus died you would notice the same thing he was not buried in just any tomb he was buried in a tomb that was cut out of the rock and matthew's account tells us it was a new one did you see this a new one joseph arimathea was a man of honor he gave jesus a new thing are you see what i'm saying now yeah gave jesus a new thing even in his death even in his death luke 23 50 to 53 and behold there was a man named joseph a counselor and he was a good man and a just the same had not consented to the counsel and deed of them he was of arimathea a city of the jews who also himself waited for the kingdom of god this man went out to pilate and begged the body of jesus and he took it down and wrapped it in linen and laid it in the sepulchre that was hewn in stone wherein never man before was laid matthews and john's account say the tomb was a new one matthew 27 60 right now and laid it in his own new tomb did you see that john 19 41 now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden and in the garden a new sepulcher wherein was never man yet laid you've been listening to the teaching of god's word brought to you by god's heritage of faith church our mission is raising stronger believers for more information about our church or to get more, 
of our life transforming resources, visit our website at www.hofng.org. God bless you.